Welcome to Shaping Healthcare, a podcast by Sidious Tech. Some of the great minds in the world are constantly striving to solve the healthcare industry's greatest challenges with technology, creativity, and agility. With every episode of the Shaping Healthcare podcast, we will take you deeper into the world of healthcare and life sciences and give you a perspective into what it takes to build a human-first, technologically-enabled healthcare world. I'm your host, Laurel Rockle. Welcome to the Shaping Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Laurel Rockle, and joining me today is Sridhar Taraga, the current SVP of Digital Technology and Analytics Services at Sidious Tech. Sridhar has been with Sidious Tech for nearly four years now, having previously worked as their SVP of Digital Innovation, Data Science, and Consulting until March of last year. Sridhar is also a founding member of Stable Bow an organization that focuses on planting the seeds of innovation and craftsmanship in Indian children by augmenting their schooling and providing them with new opportunities to grow and learn. Shreeder, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Laura. Great talking to you. Really looking forward to our conversation today, but I want to first start with what was the first initial spark that brought you into the field of healthcare? Someone told me healthcare was slow. So I could join it and then COVID happened and the jokes apart. So I worked across a variety of industries and obviously applied technology, innovation, analytics over the last couple of years. But when you really ask the question, why are you doing what you're doing? You never find a purposeful meaning. You're just selling more credit cards. And when it comes to healthcare, you know that everything that you do eventually makes somebody's life better a patient, a member, or some human out there. And that became so much more real during COVID. So it's something that I stumbled into, but I think I'm here to stay for the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, sounds like it's really meant a lot to you to grab you and pull you in to such a degree and keep you. (laughs) What a wonderful field. And yes, ever evolving and changing. And as you mentioned, you know, just have had a really long, impressive career. What ultimately led you to Sidious Tech? So I think a couple of things. Firstly, very inspired by our company. It seems an interesting balance between entrepreneurial energy and the rigor of a large enterprise. It's very hard to find that balance in a company of our size and age. You either find companies that are like very entrepreneurial but don't stay the course or indisciplined and just feel that ideas are all that matters. Or they become so boring and process-oriented in the name of scale that they lose that edge. I think thanks to our founders and the culture of the organization, which, by the way, now continues with our new CEO and investors, we seem to find that interesting balance between entrepreneurial spirit and the rigor needed in the enterprise. I have grown up in the world of startups, very excited by the opportunity going to be part of something that's so large and scaling. So that's what attracted me and that's what kind of I've come to love about the company. And second thing is everybody is just like a family in this company. And everybody says that, it's like a very common term, but if you come to City Tech, you will know, understand what that means, you know, to be a family. And that's very refreshing in work life today. Absolutely. So I have you here to talk about generative AI. A lot of people are familiar with that term, basically just from chat GPT and its imagery and those sort of things that are coming out and, you know, if it's various art, 
But when were you personally first introduced to Gen AI? Yeah, so I've made a career out of being very boring and being very skeptical of new technologies. Maybe because I've seen a lot of them and I get excited very easily, but very cautious when new things happen. So like everybody else, you know, I obviously first encountered this in its current form in ChatGPT. But if you actually know about the space, this has been in the works for 10 years. It just happens that it's kind of caught public imagination now. But the underlying engineering and math for this, the foundation is being laid for the last 10 years. I got excited about this a long time ago when we were talking about embeddings and vectors and transformers. A lot of people didn't think much about it. So I was excited about this a long time ago. But this is, of course, the avatar that everybody's excited about. I feel like that's a great testimony to Gen AI with you saying that you get excited about it, but you're also very cautious because I think the layperson or the public that's not quite so familiar with AI might have that reaction of like, oh, that's cool, but I'm a little nervous about it. So I feel to hear from you who's been exposed to it for so long and has that experience to say, I'm on board with it. <laughs> that's probably a nice thing for people to hear. And so I was going to ask, I mean, do you think it's a fad? But it sounds like it's been in the works for 10 years. It's that's not so much the case. <laughs> yeah. First, say it is not a fad. It is real, but for not the reasons people attribute to it. Mm. So I think the word generative AI has caught everybody's imagination, but there's a little bit more to it than the generative capability. I think that's the part that captured everybody's imagination. That's what's exciting everybody. That's what's scaring everybody. But there is a lot more to it than generative AI. So one way to think about it is that most of the problems that AI and analytics attempted, if you go back and look, they've probably attempted some of the really, really tough problems. You're trying to diagnose a disease using medical imaging. It's very difficult for a physician to look at all the nuances of the information unless you're a super expert radiologist and access all that information. So there's a massive compute capability that I love to make and augment super experts. So you saw AI doing amazing things, you know, voice recognition, you look at your image recognition, where like really it's a lot of advanced math, compute, solved problems, which humans can't handle so many variables. And then you saw analytics solve a lot of like day-to-day -day problems, like better marketing campaigns, detect spam. But there's a vast, the peaks and the valleys got conquered, but the vast land in between the day-to-day -day creativity of programming, of answering customer questions and searching for documents. It was very hard to access because it was very expensive to build these algorithms and validate them and make them reliable. I think what this whole journey that is now kind of culminated in generative AI has done is that it's given an access to that space. And particularly in healthcare, this is very, very important and very, very powerful because 70% of data in healthcare is documents, images, not what you call as structured data. It's the largest producer of data and largest producer of unstructured and semi-structured data. So in some ways, it's almost meant for healthcare in that sense. Yeah, to help streamline those processes for all the workers in it. Yeah. It sounds like that could be incredibly transformative technology. What examples do you have that it could be that transformative? for the people in healthcare? Yeah. 
So the way we are approaching it, and probably is, is a good lens to think about. Firstly, there is a dimension of scaling technology services. A lot of what we do in terms of software programming, validation, generating use cases, generating test cases, the whole software development cycle will get augmented with generative AI. It's considered as one of the top use cases or problem spaces that will get transformed with generative AI. So you would have heard of Copilot, Code Whisperer. These are technologies that enable that, augmenting the developer. The second part of where generative AI applies is wherever you deal with a lot of unstructured data, where you're searching for information. So for example, now when you search, you almost assume that it'll throw up a bunch of documents and links, but after chat GPT, you expect some kind of summary. You don't expect like 10 links to be thrown at you. You expect some kind of summarization a paragraph, a readable, like this is like Wikipedia on fire. That's what you expect, like real-time <laughs> okay. Wikipedia. So I think there's so many examples of that. Second thing is in healthcare, imagine you called up checking verification for your benefits. You would have been frustrated on the call, like why does it take so long to answer a simple question, whether I'm eligible for this or not. The reason it's so hard is that information is buried in many, many documents. There are plan documents. Then there are your policies. What are you eligible for? What do you co-pay? What about state regulations? Will you get pre-authorized for this particular condition? There's so many factors that one needs to consider before you can answer a very simple question, which is, am I going to be eligible for it? Who's going to pay for it? You know, and how much do I need to pay for it? Now, those kind of situations, the information is fragmented. That's the nature of healthcare. And that's where generative AI technology helps you to put that together and summarize an answer much faster, making it easier for a patient or a member, as well as make it easier for the care team or the support team on the other side trying to help help you know, the patient or the member. So I think that's a big, big use case. And then there are scenarios where if you look at healthcare, every time new technologies were added, it made life of physicians miserable because they're sitting and taking time away from patients, sitting and entering stuff. So there's another really, really powerful use case where the conversation is being captured, summarized, and auto-entered into the underlying systems. This applies even to in the life sciences plays in, in clinical trials where you need to create narratives and cases. So the nurses go have the conversation, it's recorded, and you can summarize. So a lot of the burden that care teams have in documenting, writing, entering into systems will come down significantly. So there's a whole range of possibilities. As I said, the rich lands in the middle have never been automated. I think time has come to automate a lot of that and augment that. It sounds like it's allowing doctors and nurses, like the providers of that care, to do more of that, <laughs> to spend that time to be with their patients and automate the more frustration or mundane task. Absolutely. And the documentation is necessary because it's a regulated space. You need to document this information, but how do you kind of save them the time? and do that for them or help them. Yeah, perfect. And while there are numerous healthcare use cases emerging that can transform that healthcare ecosystem using Gen AI, what do you see as the top three use cases in healthcare? I think the most impactful use case, not an easy one, but this is going to be the most impactful use case is the benefits verification and benefit support. I mean, there are a billion calls are made every year. Hours are spent on the phone just answering questions. Am I eligible? Am I approved? 
and both the provider, the care team, the member, everybody is struggling to answer that. I think that's a huge cost unlock. Almost every form of automation that's been attempted has hit a wall. I think we can break through that finally. And then we are talking about 70% of call center costs of a large pair being locked in this category of calls. We can move the needle finally because what the underlying technology of embeddings and generative AI allows us is to lower the cost of training and picking up these components and answering these questions. I think that's the big unlock. Second big application is smart search. People are searching for documents, research, images, this whole bunch of information everybody's searching for, researchers, care teams. I think generative AI will add that layer of summarization and finding information much faster. That'll be a huge use case. I think not in healthcare, but closer to healthcare, life science is a space where we operate as well. I think this whole narrative, safety narratives, case uh, narratives of what happens in the field, particularly in distributed trials, is a huge productivity unlock involved in that. These three for sure are the big ones. A lot of work involved, not easy problems to solve, but I think solvable for the first time at the scale that we are attempting. As somebody who has made some of those calls <laughs> regarding eligibility and whatnot, I would appreciate that ease of use in the future. So thank you in advance for that. And I think that's wonderful. And that sounds like I can really speed up the process for everybody involved and be a big win for everybody. So what do you think about about this scenario? Would you think, will programmers like disappear and generative AI take over a developer's job? Or is, is there still a place for the developer? And that's the billion dollar question. I will let you take it out of the bag. So bad programmers will disappear. Because I think the way to think about this is, I think programming mindset will rule. Programming will change forever. If you look at the underlying capability, what you will find is that it's able to search through prior code bases, convert code from one frame to the other, or assist while code is being written to speed up the software development process. However, when you go a little bit deeper, what you will find is that you need to be able to ask the right questions. You need to be able to discern between good code and bad code. You need to be able to discern if the problem is being solved by the underlying solution. I mean, the dumbest way to think about it is every time you cut and paste code, you copy code from somebody else, you actually more created more work for yourself because you don't know what it's doing. So I think that a lot of the programmers who are bad programmers made a career out of just you know filling in the dots and not really having a design mindset, not having strong architectural capabilities, not being able to take ownership of the end result, I think will get automated out. That's point number one. I think the second thing you'll also realize is that a lot of these solutions are horizontal. So when you get down to a specific healthcare scenario, you know, the context kind of prevents you from just generating solutions out of the box. So for example, if I were to ask any of these technologies to say, you know, write code for picking up a Kafka topic, transforming it and save it in a database, it'll do it on a Jiffy. But if I ask for the logic to write risk stratification of patients, it's going to be really, really hard to get that nuanced answer that you're looking for. 
So context and domain matters. The third interesting thing that's going to happen is roles will change. So today in a lot of organizations, people have separated roles. There's a business analyst who's the business expert, process expert. There's an engineering architect. There's a developer. There's a QA. Everybody kind of has their own niche and they're all needed. Today with some of these capabilities, both from a knowledge search perspective and auto-code generation, these roles will kind of start to converge. A great architect will also be a domain process expert. A domain process expert will have intuition around the underlying logic. So I think in some ways, to really benefit for this, organizations that reimagine team structures and roles will benefit the most. Organizations that just try to like just add it to what they have will get limited lift. So I think there's some reconfiguration that's going to happen. I also think a lot of waste will get eliminated. So I think bad programmers are in trouble. I think good programmers will get great work. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. How close are we to some of these solutions that you've mentioned? Very close. It's currently underway. I think one of the amazing thing that all the technology platform players who've enabled this is that they've made it very accessible from day one whether it's to cloud services or some of these open source submissions have made this very accessible very quickly. I think that's one of the reasons why it's easy to experiment, test, and deploy very, very quickly. If accessibility did not exist, then probably we would just kind of have very small set of really powerful technology organizations use it, but it wouldn't be accessible at scale. So almost everything I said today are actually being done by us with customers as well as many businesses out there. So these are real solutions that are being tested and implemented currently. So close. (laughs) And what are the key strategies or frameworks even that healthcare organizations must consider when they want to start that journey with Gen AI? Yeah, I think first thing is that adopt an experimentation mindset because this space is evolving so rapidly that many assumptions are getting challenged every eight weeks. So if you are taking an approach that I have it all figured out, I'm just going to make one choice and it's all going to come together in the next 18 to 24 months, then you're going to get outdated very quickly. So I think that ability to experiment and having optionality is very, very important. I think the second thing is that, you know, defining the appropriate solutions, what you can't do with generative AI today, being realistic about what you can, cannot do. I think that's very important. I often find this narrative that you can do everything with generative and that's going to create a lot of confusion. So I think just having a little bit more nuanced understanding of what you can, cannot do, I think it's important and that you will only learn through research and experimentation. Third thing is putting solid quality and monitoring frameworks in place. Because when you unleash it, and because the technology is accessible, everybody's tinkering with it, a lot of solutions will mushroom, you know, some small, some large. But how do you measure quality? How do you measure reliability? How do you measure security and ensure protection of information? I think investing in that governance, not the most exciting part, is the boring work of putting the foundation and the governance is really, really important. If you don't do that, then you'll just find like lots of cool demos, but you'll never reach enterprise scale. And lastly, about giving people the skills and the knowledge, because you will find that in every role has to kind of reimagine itself already. 
you have to reskill yourself to do that so i think some of these things you know help and of course there's a whole range of technology options in the cloud on prem open source by which you can do it adapting to the size of your requirement and budget so i think that's there's a whole range of possibilities and i think some of these things i think will help drive at scale that's kind of how i think about it yeah being open to experimentation being realistic about what's going to come out of it because yes as you mentioned everything is changing <laughs> rapidly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and You've given some wonderful examples about the use of generative AI currently and like where these first steps could go with it. What role do you see for the future of Gen AI in healthcare? So I think that at least 30 to 40% of tasks in all of healthcare, which constitutes eventually, you know, patients and members and companies pay for it, is manual and has some form of automation potential. I think generative AI will augment that and will hopefully reduce some of the cost. Like U.S. healthcare cost is 18% of GDP. It is one of the biggest burden for most employers and the economy and people. So the cost is something we should all worry about. I think the second impact that generative AI will have is reduce the time to decisions. A lot of times, it's the going in circles, the long delays in approvals and lack of clarity is what frustrates. And healthcare is known for really, really poor consumer experience. We are at the bottom of the list. And one of the ways consumer experience, you know, improves is by rapid response, by transparency, by visibility. I think, you know, this word transparency is used in healthcare. It's not that somebody is really trying to, you know, kind of make it opaque. It's just very hard to give answers quickly, I think it'll kind of improve the transparency and consumer experience in a big way. I think all of this will help us invest where it really matters, which is really preventive care, take care of aging population. I think we'll kind of redirect resources, which sometimes today are probably wasted into innovation. I think of this as eliminating waste, improving experience, but eventually allowing us to redirect our energies to where we should all be putting our investment which is making lives better it sounds like new technology is helping to make healthcare more human like humanize it make bring more empathy to it and allow doctors to do funny that job the, yeah, yeah funny the ai is making healthcare more human. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird thought i had in my head i was like you know this this new technology i think the layperson might think maybe had that knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, AI, this is new, this is scary. But I think when it's explained in this way where people can have a greater understanding of how wonderfully it can really impact their job, what they're doing, their experience in healthcare, you know, what that experience is going to be with their doctor and when they call on the phone to you know, verify yeah. benefits and stuff. And I think that, you know, hopefully that brings down that maybe anxiety of, oh, okay, this is going to be such an amazing thing for everyone on board. So appreciate that explanation that yeah, technology making things more human. <laughs> so I uh, like to wrap things up with a little bit more light question and fun question. And in the world of Gen AI, Shreder, who would you most like to take to lunch and have a great conversation with? I would like to meet the team that wrote the paper on attention models. Most people won't even know their name. The researchers who kicked all of 
their paper on attention is all it takes. I would like to meet them. They are not talked about much because most people don't read research papers, but I'd go meet those researchers for lunch. <laughs> I think everybody else kind of started with that seed. So I'd go back and meet them. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And I, I like to ask that question because selfishly, I think it's wonderful. Like, who do we admire and who do we want to learn more from? And I think that's, that's just really nice to be able to, if you could have that experience with somebody, there it is. But thank you. <laughs> so, Trader, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. And thank you so much for your insight and your knowledge and your experience with all of this and chatting with us today for the Shaping Healthcare podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Great talking to you, Laura. Great talking to you as well. The Shaping Healthcare Podcast is brought to you by Sidious Tech, a leader in healthcare consulting and IT services. To find out more about Sidious Tech, visit SidiousTech.com. To listen to more interesting insights on healthcare technology and innovations, search and subscribe to the Shaping Healthcare Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want to share any feedback or would like to be featured in our podcast, do write to us at SidiousVision at SidiousTech.com.